it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas at Sagebrush. Take some time out of the hustle and bustle of the holiday season and join us as we celebrate our one true hope, Jesus. Mark your calendars and bring the whole family together on December 23rd or 24th to remember the real reason for the season. There's a Sagebrush location in your neighborhood. Just go to sagebrush.church Christmas to find one near you. Don't miss out. Invite your friends and family. And this Christmas, let's make memories that last a lifetime. We can't wait to see you this year for Christmas at Sagebrush. Visit sagebrush.church Christmas for all the details. Well, we are in the middle of a series called The X Factor of Friendship. We're looking at the different qualities that bring about a great friendship. And we're also looking at some of the things that we can do to a friendship that can tear a friendship apart. So I want you to play along with your pastor for just a second, all right? By a raise of the hands. I want you to do this in the room. I want you to do this if you're watching from TV. Multi-sites participate as well. Wherever you're at, just raise your hand if any of these things are true. How many of you can say that you have had a friend that you have stayed in contact with for decades and decades and decades. Let me see. Wow, I am absolutely blown away. Good for you that you've got that kind of a friendship. All right, let me ask another question. How many of you in your lifetime had a friend and then the friend moved away and you're not as close to that friend anymore because of the distance now between the two of you. How many say that's happened in your life? Oh, a few more hands went up for that. That makes a lot of sense. The average person, you ready for this, moves every four years. Isn't that something? So it's harder than ever before to have lifelong friendships because people move from one state to another, one country to another more frequently than ever before. All right, let me ask you one more. Just play with me one more time, all right? Here's the question. How many of you would say that you had a friend at some point in your life, but there was a conflict between the two of you, and you're no longer friends anymore? How many have experienced that? All right. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today, because there's conflict that happens in relationships, and many times when we have a conflict, if we handle the conflict properly, the relationship can actually survive uh, over that particular conflict. I remember when Christy and I first got married, we got into a bit of a fight. I didn't see her for the next three days. That's how many days it took for my eyes to stop swelling. That's what that was right there. That's just a joke. You can have conflict with a family member. You can have conflict with a friend. You can have conflict with a coworker. My goodness, you can have conflict with somebody that you just met. Uh, this happened about two and a half years ago. It was right at the very start, maybe part of COVID season. And my wife woke up one day, and there was something in the house that she didn't like, and I was just glad it wasn't me. And I said, honey, what seems to be the problem here? She says, I don't like this couch. I want to get rid of this couch. We've had this couch forever. It's got all kinds of issues with it. Let's go and get a new couch. Well, she's not happy with the couch. And when she's not happy, I don't get to be happy either. It's kind of a package deal. So I said, all right, let's go down to the furniture store. We'll find yourself a couch. Well, during the time of COVID, because manufacturing shut down for so long, it was difficult to get a couch that was in stock. Many times you'd have to wait six months, eight months to get a piece of furniture. So we go down there, there's this nice salesman, he begins to show us different couches. She picks one out and says, that's a wonderful couch, we'll have that for you in six months. 
Well, she's not happy about it being six months, and I'm not happy about it being six months because she doesn't like the couch, and I don't want that to spill over to me, you understand? And so she says, all right, well, I'll hold on. I'll wait for the six months for the couch to come. Well, she marked it down on her little phone, had a little reminder, six months, that she should have the couch. Well, six months comes and goes, and guess what? No couch. So she calls down to the store. She says, listen, I want to know where my couch is at. It's been six months. They said, well, we're sorry to tell you this, but it's going to be another two months before the couch will come in. Well, she gets off the phone. She's very upset. I said, you know what? Let's just cancel that order, and we'll find a couch that's in stock. We'll just go furniture shopping again. Well, that sounded good to her. So we went down to the store to see what they had, and we explained to them that we were going to cancel the order. And that's when the salesperson looked at me and said, you can do that, but we're going to charge you, are you ready for this, a 30% restocking fee. And so I asked the question, why do you have to charge me a 30% restocking fee when you've got nothing to restock? There's nothing here to put back on a shelf. I said, I would like to talk to your manager, please. So the manager comes out, it's a nice lady, we begin to have a conversation, and she again reiterates that there's a 30% restocking fee. And so I think in myself, I'm very calm, cool, and collected in this moment, but I explained to her that I think that's ridiculous and I won't be paying a 30% restocking fee. Well, then she says it to me again. And at this point, maybe I lost a little bit of my temper, maybe my tone. I've heard about my tone before. Maybe it was my tone that was just a little bit aggressive. But I cut the woman off mid-sentence, and I said, maybe you didn't hear me the first time. We are not paying a 30% restocking fee. Now, I knew I had gone too far because my wife was giving me the evil eye at that point. She was like, you're here. You need to bring it down to here kind of a thing. And I guess my tone was a little bit messed up because the woman got mad at me. She stopped and she looked at me and she said, you're rude. I had never had anybody say that to me before like that at a furniture store. She said, you're rude. She said, you cut me off. What I was about to say was I'll do everything in my power to get rid of the 30% restocking fee. So I apologize. I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I must have apologized two or three times. And she said, let me go back to my office, see if I can figure this out. This was not what you would call your pastor's finest moment. But there was a bright side to this because she didn't go to our church. You understand? (laughs) That's important that you understand that. And I remember in the furniture store, you just saying a little prayer to God. Thank you, God, that she doesn't go to church at Sagebrush. I hope she goes to church somewhere, Lord. I really do. But thank you that she doesn't know who I am. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Five minutes goes by. Gentleman walks into the store. I kid you not. And he starts pointing at me. And I said to myself, I said, self, I said, yeah. I said, that's not good. Why is he pointing at me? And he's smiling. And he's pointing at me. And he's hitting other guys and pointing at me. And then he runs back to the manager's office. (laughs) turns out this young man goes to sagebrush and he was excited that i was in the store and wanted to bring his manager out to meet me oh 
That's awesome. <laughs> Friends, the bottom line is you're going to have conflict from time to time. And things can go really badly. And they can go south really quickly. Well, guess what? The friendship we looked at last week between Saul and Barnabas, it goes south. And they end their relationship. They end their friendship. Now, now you never would have guessed this. Because this is two guys that prayed for each other, looked out for each other, went on mission trips together. Do you remember how they met? Remember before Paul was Paul, his name was Saul, and he was going around and he was persecuting Christians, locking them in jail, giving approval to their death. And then one day he's walking to the road to Damascus and a bright light shines about him and the voice of Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Remember, he gets blinded as a result. Three days later, Ananias comes to him, prays for him. The scales came off his eyes. He could see again. And he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. The one person that you never would have imagined would become a fully devoted follower of Jesus becomes that. But the disciples were skeptical, weren't they? And they said, someone needs to go and check this out, see if this is the real deal. Because we think he's faking it to get us to come out so he can capture us and throw us in prison like he's done so many of our Christian brothers and sisters. So they send Barnabas to go check it out. They have a long conversation. The conversation goes great. And Barnabas comes to the conclusion that Saul is the real deal. He goes back to the disciples says, listen, this guy has really had an encounter with Jesus. His life has been changed. But the disciples, they were still leery about it. And so for the next eight years, guess what? Saul is placed on the bench. He's not in the game. The disciples aren't calling him for any kind of fruitful ministry. Well, during those eight years, we know that Barnabas cared deeply about Saul. Heard a story this past week about a little boy. His name was Jimmy. He's in the second grade. And he's sitting there in class, and he wet his pants. I, I, it, it, he thought he could wait till there was time for the bell to ring, but he couldn't wait. And, and now he was going to be humiliated. He thought to himself, as soon as one of the kids, the kids knows, they're going to call me names. The teacher's going to find out about this. This is going to be very, very humiliating. And sure enough, here comes the teacher walking down his row. He knows now it's just a matter of seconds before he's found out. But there was a little girl right in front of him. Her name was Susie. And she was carrying the class's goldfish bowl. Well, she tripped. And she dropped the bowl and its contents onto the lap of Jimmy. Now, Jimmy tried to act like he was very upset and very angry over it, but he was saying a little prayer to God saying, thank you, because now nobody would think that he had wet his pants. Well, the teacher cleans him up and sends him to the nurse. They put on some gym shorts. That's what he wears for the rest of the day. But Susie is made fun of for the rest of the day. The kids are calling her names and calling her a klutz, things like that. Well, it's at the end of the day now, it's time for them to line up to get onto their bus. And all of a sudden, Jimmy realizes what Susie has done for him. He walks over to her and he says, you did that on purpose, didn't you? And Susie whispers back in his ear and says, I wet my pants once too. That's just somebody who cares for somebody else. That's somebody who looks out for somebody else. That's who Barnabas was for Saul. He cared about him. He looked out for him. He tried to cover for him. Well, Barnabas goes to this town. There's a revival that's going on. People are giving their lives to Jesus left and right. Barnabas realizes it over his head. So who's he going to get? He goes and gets Saul. 
travels a hundred miles to get Saul, brings him back, and Saul and Barnabas have this unbelievable relationship where God is using this powerful duo to do great things for the kingdom of God. Now, here's one more thing I want you to get about Barnabas and Saul's relationship. Barnabas loved to lift Saul up. Barnabas was always the kind of guy who was a great encourager. He was the kind of guy who loved to give people a second chance. And in the relationship between Saul and Barnabas, here's what's interesting. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll see about five times it mentions Barnabas and Saul. But then after they come back from their missionary journey, it's Saul and Barnabas from that point forward. Now, what does that tell you about Barnabas? He didn't mind taking a step back. He didn't mind his friend getting the spotlight. He didn't mind lifting his friend up so his friend could reach his full potential. Well, they go on a mission trip from hell, right? Remember that? I mean, my goodness, everything could go go wrong, went wrong. They didn't know if they are going to be welcomed in this town. They're going to be kicked out of this town. My goodness, the leader of the mission trip, Saul, got stoned on the mission trip. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about stoned in the biblical sense, all right? Make sure you actually understand that. He wasn't smoking wiggity-whack, all right? I just want you to make sure you understand that. So everything that could go bad went bad, but they came back, and now the church wants to send them out for a second missionary trip. Now, if you remember last week, I told you that John Mark went with them on that first missionary trip. Now, you know who John Mark is, don't you? He is the author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of the Gospel of Mark. Well, Barnabas says, let's bring John Mark again. And and Saul's like, what in the world are you talking about? Do you remember about halfway through that last mission trip we went on that he went back home? I mean, that mama's boy, he just wanted his mama, didn't he? He was such a scaredy cat, he just ran as fast as he could, left us short-handed... I'm not taking that risk again. I'm not giving that kid a second chance. Barbara said, no, no, he's grown a lot. He's matured a lot. He won't do that again. I want to take him. He can have fruitful ministry for the Lord. And Saul said, I'm not doing it. And Barnabas said, yes, you are. And Saul said, no, I'm not. And they had a fight. And that was it. There's no place in the Bible from that point forward where those two guys are doing anything together. In fact, the Bible says that Saul went one direction, doing what he felt like God wanted him to do, and Barnabas went in the other direction, doing what he felt like God wanted him to do. The two people that you thought would be friends for a lifetime weren't friends anymore. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that so many people have conflicts and these conflicts get so intense that the friendship ends? Well, let me explain something to you. Every conflict you've ever had, if we boiled it down, it all comes down to this. They're not doing what you want them to do. If they were doing what you wanted them to do, you would have no conflict with them. So the next time you have a conflict with your wife or with a friend, just look at them and say, listen, things will go a lot easier if you'll just do what I want you to do, right? Because that's what it boils down to. So what do we do when they don't do what we want them to do? Or we don't do what they want us to do? What do we do when there's a fight that's brewing? I'll tell you what some of us do. We're passive aggressive. To the person's face, you act like you're the best friend ever. And you tell them how wonderful they are. And then behind their back, you tell everybody what a no good so-and-so they are. You can't sit down. You can't have a conversation with them. No, when you're with them, it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. But you would never let them know what you really think, what you really feel. 
I can't even tell you the number of times we've had staff members on this church staff that were passive-aggressive towards another staff member. To their face, oh, they were wonderful. Best staff person ever. And then behind their back, they would gossip. They would get their little group together to hate the other person. Are you ready for this? Jesus doesn't want us to act like that. Are you shocked? Because many of us, that's exactly your mode of operandum. You have a conflict with somebody. What's the opposite extreme? Well, for some of us, you intimidate the other person. You get in their grill. You yell at them. You scream at them. You use sarcasm and ridicule. You put them in their place. You bully your way to get them to do what you want them to do. Guess what? Jesus doesn't want you to act that way either. You say, well, how are we supposed to act when we find ourselves not seeing eye to eye with somebody else? What would Jesus have us do? Well, here's the great news. We don't have to guess because Jesus tells us exactly what he would have us to do. It's found here in Matthew chapter 5. Look at it. It says, Jesus said, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So so Jesus says you come to church, you come to worship the Lord, and you realize the Holy Spirit convicts you that you've got a relationship that's not on the same page. He says, leave your gift. Did you catch that? Leave your gift. Let me say it one more time. Leave your gift and then go and be reconciled to that person. You say, all right, okay, that's what he wants me to do. He wants me to go and have a conversation with that person. Well, Jesus gives us a little more detail in Matthew chapter 18. He says, first off, we need to go see him privately. Go see the person privately. Matthew 18 verse 15 says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. That's the first step we're supposed to take. You're not supposed to... Go behind their back. You're not supposed to get a whole bunch of people to hate them. You're not supposed to gossip about them. You're not supposed to go in there and let bitterness get a hold of your life. And you come in there and you yell and you scream and you name call. No, you just go and you see them privately. And you go, get this, with the intention of reconciling. You go with the intention... Of making compromises so that the two of you can continue to walk the same path together. Now, nothing that would be not biblical. I'm not asking you to do something to compromise that would, you know, do something against Jesus. I'm saying sometimes we're so stuck in our ways and they're stuck in their ways. There's a middle ground that's a holy place to be. And so sometimes you got to give up a little bit of the ground, right, to get onto the same page. Now, I'm not afraid of conflict. I think if you're in my position, you can't be afraid of conflict. I don't look forward to conflict. It's not like I say, well, who can I get in a fight with today? I just can't wait for this, right? I mean, if you're like that, if you're kind of that volatile person, you need help. You understand that? You need to go to anger management on Wednesday night. That's what you need to do. I'm not afraid to have a conversation with the thought of reconciling because the relationship with that person means more to me than anything else. I care about people. I want to get along with everybody as much as possible. And so what, I'll, what I do is I'll schedule a time to meet with whatever person it is, whether it's someone in the church, whether it's someone on the staff. 
we'll schedule a time and a place, and we'll talk just the two of us. Now, here's what I do, and I would encourage you to do the same thing. When I know that I've got a difficult conversation coming up, when we're sitting down, the first thing I do is I say, can we pray? Listen, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and my Savior. He means everything to me. And I need his help. I need his wisdom to say the things that he wants me to say, to be the person that he wants me to be. And so I just always say, hey, can I pray before we get into this conversation? And 100% of the time so far, and I've done this with people who don't have a relationship with Christ. I've done it with people who have a relationship with Christ. 100% of the time, I've never had somebody say, no, I don't want to pray with you. That has never happened, not one single time. Now, I know some of you, you're uncomfortable praying with somebody else out loud. Get over it. you you gotta, you got to step up and say, I want, can we pray? You say, what would I pray for? I pray for them. I, I pray that God would bless their life. I, I, I pray things like, I, I value their friendship. I, I value who they are as a person. Lord, I pray right now you would calm our emotions down so we wouldn't say anything to each other that would hurt each other. Lord, I pray right now that you would help us attack the problem rather than attack the person. Because you know how much this friendship means to me. And Lord, I pray that somehow, someway, you would give both of us wisdom that we can get on the same page. And be stronger as a result of this disagreement than we've ever been before. I pray things like this. Listen, I know Satan wants to divide us. I know he doesn't like this friendship. Because it's a threat to his kingdom. So don't let him get a foothold here. God, may this be a productive conversation. Now here's what's interesting. When I get done praying, everybody's calmed down. Everybody is ready to have an adult conversation with another person. Here you are, you have Jesus as the leader and forgiver of your life, and yet you never lean on him, you never call upon him, you never ask him for help, and then you go into these situations and you're all riled up and you're fired up. What do you think is going to happen in that situation? Call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says where two or more are gathered together in his name, he is there in the midst of it. I need his help, so I always pray before we get into it. Let me give you the second thing you got to do. you got to be careful what you say and how you say it. This is the harder part. You can say the right thing at the wrong time. Did you know that? My wife taught me that. It's kind of interesting. You ready for this one? You can say the right thing with the wrong tone. My wife taught me that one too. She walks around the house all the time. Tone, 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 tone. I found out you can say the wrong thing at the right time. And if you're anything like me, you can say the wrong thing at the wrong time. I've done that many times in my life. Look what Ephesians 4, 29 says. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That covers a lot, doesn't it? But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit. Gosh, that's convicting, isn't it? That it may benefit those who listen. Look at Proverbs 12, 18. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. How many times have you thrown reckless words out there? 
Those are the bullets that come out of your mouth that wound the other person. The shards of glass that you throw in someone else's eye just to make your point. Sometimes they're done unintentionally. I know that. Sometimes conflict arises and you didn't even mean to offend the other person. You just said it in the wrong way at the wrong time. And there was no ill intent, but you wounded the other person. Sometimes it can happen innocently. Think about the times that someone has said something like this, something to you, and it's wounded you. It's hurt you. Things like, did you mean to do that to your hair? <laughs> I mean, you meant, you meant that innocently enough, right? Like, oh, what did you mean? But you wounded them. You wounded their heart. You wounded their spirit, right? How, how about this one? Why aren't you married yet? I love that one. I didn't get married until I was 28 years old, so I heard that all the time. Why aren't you married yet? How old are you now? Why aren't you married yet? Then I'd go to weddings where I'd see my friends, you know, getting married. And these old folks would come over and hit me and say, You're next. You're next. <laughs> So I started doing that at funerals. <laughs> You're next. <laughs> How about these wonderful words that you probably didn't mean to hurt somebody, but they did. Words like this. I, I thought you'd do better than that. How many times have you done this? How many times has somebody said something and it just broke your spirit? It broke your soul. And they didn't mean to hurt you. You didn't mean to hurt them. But you did. And sometimes we say things just to be mean. Sometimes we say things just to put somebody else in their place. You're so stupid. You are the biggest disappointment. I can't believe that I was dumb enough to marry somebody like you. You look at your child and you say, I'm not proud of you. I'm disappointed in you. And you think somehow they're going to rise up and blow you away with what they do next? You're breaking their spirit. You're breaking their soul. They're not going to rise up because you've put them down. You've buried them with a single word. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. You ever had somebody say, I believe in you? I still believe in you. I'm still proud of you. I want you to know I thank God for you every single day of my life. And there's nothing you can do that will change that. Hey, it's just words. But when you hear words like that, man, it just makes you rise up. It brings hope. And you can get back up from the dirt that you found yourself falling in. And you find you have a friend, a family member who lifts you up, who still believes in you in spite of you. It changes everything, doesn't it? So when you sit down with someone in a conflict, you're just very cautious about the words that you say, about the words that you use. So you might want to say a little prayer. May the words of my heart and the meditation, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh, my Lord, my rock, my redeemer. God, don't let me say anything, even if they wound me. Don't let me say anything that's going to wound them back. Isn't this difficult? I would encourage you to use I feel statements when you're talking to them. Say things like this, I feel like you don't care about my thoughts or feelings. I, I feel like there's a competition between you and me. 
I feel like we, we're just not on the same page. Now, when you, when you share I feel statements, what are you doing? You're making yourself vulnerable. You're sharing your emotion. You're not attacking the other person. Think about how most of the time we say things like this. You don't care about my feelings. You won't get on the same page with me. Why are you constantly competing with me in this situation? You are going down. In Jesus' name. What happens when you're attacked? You attack back. They back you in a corner. They push your button. Well, then they get what they deserve at that point, right? Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But you say words that benefit those who listen. You want to get the defenses down in a, conf a conflict situation? Here's how you do it. Own your stuff. Hey, I feel like when you did this, this made me feel like this. But hey, I, I get it because I did this to you. And I'm sorry. And I messed up. And I want to apologize for that. And when you own your stuff, nine times out of ten, can I tell you something? The other person's going to own their stuff too. But someone's got to be the adult. Someone's got to be the mature person. Someone has to come and admit they're wrong and say, this is how messed up I brought this situation. And then if they ask for forgiveness, receive it back and forth. If they don't, that's okay. You still get it off your chest. You still gain their forgiveness. And it's up to them whether they want to give it to you or not. So you got to be careful what you say. Let me give you the third thing. Try to come up with an action plan on how things can, can and should be different from this day forward. I love Hebrews 12, 14. This is a message. It says... Work at getting along with each other. It's work, isn't it? Getting along with other people. So what you do is you come up with a few steps to say, let's not ever end up here again. Because I know a lot of married couples, they fight over the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. They never seem to get any traction. What if they just slowed down just a little bit and said, okay, let's take about some action steps, some things that we can do differently so that we don't end up back here again. Here's two good questions. If you want to take notes, write these down. How can, I, how can we avoid this situation in the future? That's a great question to ask. How can we make certain that this doesn't happen again? What do we need to do differently? And the second question is this. How can we improve our lines of communication? My goodness, 99% of the fights that we have, the conflicts that we have, are all because of a communication breakdown. Someone didn't say something, someone didn't say something the right way, someone didn't listen exactly to what was, what was said, or they forgot about what was said, and now we're upset because they should have remembered what was said, and so there was a communication breakdown that happened as a result. So how do we communicate better? What do we need to do better to stay on the same page? Now look at this. The Bible says in Romans 12, 17, do not repay evil for evil. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Okay, so what does that mean? It means you want to do everything in your power to live at peace with other people. So that means you go the extra mile. You wash the feet, right? You turn the other cheek. Because if the relationship ends, you don't want to have the guilt that you could have done something different to have kept the relationship going. As far as it depends on you, do everything you can to try to reconcile. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes it doesn't work out. 
I mean, nine times out of ten when I have a conflict with somebody, we walk away feeling better than ever before. We're on the same page. We're stronger together than ever before. It works out great. But about 10% of the time, that other person is hell-bent on keeping the fight going. They don't want my forgiveness. They don't want to ask for forgiveness. And this is where the relationship ends. And that's what happened to Saul and Barnabas. I guess neither one of them would give in to the other. I guess they were so bent on their idea of where they should go and what they should do that they parted ways. Now, I love this about the Bible. Because the two people that you thought would be friends forever ended up not being friends at all. I love the fact that it's raw and honest like that. These are just real people fighting through real situations just like you and just like me. So where do we go with this? Well, you're going to have fights. Will you fight maturely? Will you do everything in your power to try to make things right with that person? Will you have the conversation? Will you sit down? Will you share your heart? Will you ask for their forgiveness? Will you set a guard over your mouth? Will you go the extra mile for them? Because I can tell you right now, if you choose not to do the things the Bible tells you to do, you will look back upon your life with just a wake of bodies that you've wounded or have wounded you of friendships lost and missed opportunities. You'll be just like Saul and Barnabas. And God doesn't want that for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is so hard because so many times we don't want to have that conversation. And I get it. Nobody likes conflict. Nobody wants to deal with this stuff. Nobody looks forward to these kinds of conversations. So Lord, we put it off. Or we act like it's not that big of a deal. And then bitterness and resentment. And all of a sudden we start gossiping. We start saying terrible things about somebody else. And it just leaves a wake of hurt. God, give us the courage to do what your word says. Lord, that we would pray, seek out your counsel. Lord, that we would offer forgiveness and accept forgiveness. Lord, for anyone who's facing a difficult situation, a difficult conversation, I pray that you would go before them, that you would prepare the heart of the person they're going to talk to. And Lord, that they would speak words of life and not words of death. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.